Welcome to Tackling the NFL. I'm Josh Rosenberg. I'm here with my co-host, Adam Baltax. We're back for another week of NFL action. Hey, how's it it's, going? Hey, Adam. It's going pretty well. There's not that much going on, but, you know, we're making do with what we've got. We're going to do our NFC West preview this week, which is actually pretty exciting because there's a lot to talk about. These are, this is, I'd say, the most competitive division uh, up and down in the NFL, which is going to be an interesting discussion. And there's a couple other things going on. So I think I threw in a bit at the at, uh, after we recorded last week's episode about how Patrick Mahomes signed his contract extension after we finished recording. And so now we'll talk about that a little bit. But before we get started with that, the Washington football team finally today officially announced that they're changing their name. Can you tell me what the funniest part of that entire like shindig is essentially? So we knew that they were going to announce that they're changing the name today, which is Monday, July 13th. But we didn't know that they were going to be in a copyright dispute with this random man in Alexandria, Virginia. Yeah, this guy, he's a realtor. He bought 40 different trademarks, like including the Washington uh, Red, the Washington Red Wolves, the, Ros- the Washington Warriors, and a bunch of different other team names, 40 different team names. So, and he bought them all last week, which means that the uh, football team wants to choose one of these names. They know which name they want, and they need to buy it off this guy. I hope he milks Dan Snyder for every penny he can get. Oh, and he will. He has all the leverage. Yep. I think it, that's pretty exciting. That's basically it for that. Hopefully next week we'll know what the new name is. I just hope they don't choose the Warriors. Yeah, that's too lame. Do, do yeah. something more spicy, like the Red Tails or the Red Wolves. I love the art, like the mock art that people have made for the Red Wolves. I feel like yeah. they can't mess that up, but we'll see where they end up. Warriors and, kind of kind of limits them. Yeah, and they're ending up in that same territory like the, that the Chiefs are in, where it's like, it's not technically about Native Americans, but if you end up with all your iconography and like all your traditions and like all of your merchandise about like with Native American themes, yeah. you're probably going to end up changing it again. So yeah, and they're, they're, they said that they're going for a total rebrand though, right? New logo, new, yeah. new outfits. Yeah, I hope so. And oh, finally, they meant they sent out the statement, like the press release this morning uh, saying, oh, we're done using our old racist team name. And just for good riddance, like they threw in their logo one more time and they threw in the name <laughs> a more times into the press release just so we could all rip just our Just to out. really rub it in that it's definitely exactly. gone. Yep. But anyways, what's a lot more fun and a lot more interesting, I think, is that Patrick Mahomes signed a 10-year, $503 million extension last week. Yeah, that's a lot of money. What's amazing is that Eli Manning had the biggest, had the most money made in NFL history up until, like, up until this point with, like, somewhere around $260 million over the course of his career. Mahomes just nearly doubled that in one contract. (laughs) Yeah. So the Bears are really regretting taking Trubisky now. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to talk about that. I think with that Trubisky pick, I think that the problem there was not choosing Watson, but that's another day. Yeah. So there's a lot of weird stuff going on in that contract uh, for Mahomes. The Chiefs basically added the phrase guarantee mechanisms to the football vernacular. That was yeah. not a thing up until this contract. Basically, what it means, according to Bill Barnwell from ESPN, is that it triggers a guarantee at a certain point in the year. So usually it's like around the third day of the league calendar. Um, so this wasn't a thing before. It's actually a pretty standard practice. It happens in a lot of different contact uh, in a lot of different contracts. Basically, the contract for the next year, all the money guarantees on a certain day, and usually players want it to be at the very beginning of the league calendar, so that, that way, if the play if the team decides to cut them, they can get into the free agency market when like teams still have a lot of money to throw around. Yeah. Or and teams know what they're doing with their money as early as possible. A couple other notes about the Mahomes contract. They're, this he's not going to play out this entire contract. Uh, that's just how football contracts work. Uh, it's not like the MLB where yeah. you have a guaranteed contract and you're pl- and they, they have to pay you that amount of money for every year. It's like that they'll renegotiate probably at around 2025. Basically, the cap is going to spike in the next couple of years when they sign a new TV deal. Right now, the cap is around 200 million. It could probably go up to around 300 million within a couple of years. You know, depending on how much damage the pandemic does to it. And so that means that his deal, which sounds massive now, won't actually be all that big. So he'll renegotiate at around that time and probably sign for a lot more annual money. And we'll be equally shocked then when we hear the numbers. Probably. 
2027, he's slated to make nearly $60 million, which probably won't actually sound that outrageous at the time. But if, if the cap jumps to $300 million, that's actually only 16% of the cap, and he'll probably deserve to make more. So we'll see how that works. I, the only other things for me for this contract are, one, uh, we talked about Chris Jones last week when we talked about the Chiefs, and yep. he's on the franchise tag right now. Given, given that they're all in right now, obviously, although they're sort of all in for the next <laughs> 10 years with Mahomes as their QB. They're all in even if they're not trying to be. Exactly. The way this contract works is that he keeps his salary for the next two years. So it's still relatively low. He's on his rookie contract as uh, outside the top 10 quarterback. I think he was drafted 12th. Yeah. And so that means that if they wanted to, there's a path for the Chiefs to pay Chris Jones uh, a lot of money in the next two years. So give him like a big contract, which structures most of the money to give uh, go to him in the next two years, then a lot less money in year three. And that way they fit it around. They keep, they manage to keep him and they like shift the cap numbers around so that that way they can fit both him and Mahomes. So maybe yeah. they tried to do that. I just wanted to fix this one thing. Cause maybe someone got a little mad. He was big 10th in the draft. Oh, okay. And Thanks. Then, yeah. Oh, just, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I I do think it still applies to that outside the top ten. So we know that the most recent and the Chiefs look like an NFL dynasty right now. That's yeah. that much is simple. The last NFL dynasty that we've had was obviously the Patriots dynasty. We don't even know if that's dead, given how nicely they transitioned from Brady to Newton. But my question is, when Tom Brady came onto the scene, he wasn't the villain. You know, he, they were like the plucky upstarts, and the Patriots sure. had been incredibly unsuccessful in years prior to the Belichick dynasty. So how long is it until the Chiefs are the villains? Because right now, everybody loves the Chiefs, right? Oh, yeah. Everybody lo- – like, the, and the Chiefs are really fun to watch. So, And that's a little bit different from the Patriots. I mean, like, the Patriots, since, like, the late 2000s, haven't been all that exciting to watch, like, especially on offense. How long is it until everybody hates the Chiefs? Yeah. Uh, so, the, the I think something else that added to the villainous reign of the Patriots was Bill Belichick's scary demeanor. So I don't think Andy Reid quite has that intimidating factor, but I do see them winning a lot of Super Bowls in the future. And then I think it'll be around 2025 when they start being hated because okay. no one likes a team that wins too much. I think it's actually interesting, though, because if you there's a couple different ways to look at it. Uh, you mentioned that Bill Belichick is sort of scary. He's got like the hoodie Belichick thing, yeah. whatever hoodie Bill thing. But also, they've been caught cheating like three different times at least. Yeah. Uh, we have Spygate, we have Deflategate, and most recently, which I loved, they timed the Cam Newton signing to go out <laughs> on the same day that they were fined a million dollars and lost some draft picks for spying Genius. on the Bengals. Yeah, honestly, brilliant. An amazing PR move. Most people in the league don't even realize that that happened. Yeah. Also, if you look at the San Antonio Spurs dynasty, which is like one of the other great dynasties of the 20th century, nobody yeah. really hated them. They were nice guys. Patrick Mahomes is, seems to be a nice guy, and he doesn't seem to be as crazy as Tom Brady. Yeah, so but we'll I see. think what separates that is that the Spurs have always had great teams to play against when the yeah. Patriots were on their own tier. There was that no teams matching up to the to the Patriots, but the Spurs had the Lakers at the start and the Heat towards the end. Yeah, maybe I'll get sick of it, but right now I cannot think of anything more fun than like a long-term Chiefs-Ravens rivalry where Mahomes oh. and Lamar Jackson go head-to-head over the course of the years. That'll that'll be a very fun matchup to watch. Yeah, for all of us football nerds. <laughs> Anyways, the reason we got together this week was to talk about the NFC West. There's basically four playoff contenders in this division, especially with the expanded playoffs. You know, if, if the season happens, I think that this is every single game in this division will be a must-watch because I think that if you make it out of this division with a 4-4 four and four record, you'll have done pretty well no matter which team you are. Yeah, because, there's a there's much less room for error. This is definitely top two, top two divisions in the NFL. Yeah, I, I know you like the NFC South. We'll talk about that another day. I don't see how how you can consider that on the same tier as this, but you're a Falcons fan. Yeah. Anyways, uh, let's talk about the Arizona Cardinals. Okay. So um, the Cardinals had a great offseason. Many articles said that they had the best offseason out of all NFL teams. And it's mostly because of that insane trade for deandre hopkins that trade might be the worst deal in texans history and the best deal in cardinals history they dumped david johnson's contract and gave up a couple of low picks for for the one of the best wide receivers in the nfl pure robbery 
Yep, that's about right. I don't know. If, so what's interesting is that I think that that trade in and of itself makes an amazing off off season, but the rest of their off season wasn't all that great. So yeah. their main their main additions in free agency were Devon Kennard and Jordan Phillips. Devon, uh, maybe it's Devin, but I don't know. It's Devon, uh, Ken- I think. Okay, so Kennard is a defensive lineman, I think an edge rusher, and Phillips yep. is an interior defensive lineman. He's a defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. Both of them had decent years last year, but uh, both can expect a lot of sack, uh, a lot of sack regression. So, I talked about last week how uh, players turn around forty five percent of their knock or knockdowns into sacks. Both of them outperformed that last year. And if you look at uh, Jordan Phillips's sacks. He had a lot of coverage sacks. He didn't actually create that many sacks on his own. He was playing with the Bills, and the Bills' uh, secondary was so fantastic that they just gave him a lot of time to work his way to the quarterback. So they yeah. paid him $30 million over three years. I'm sure he won't see all that money, but that deal was sort of outsized for yeah, and then the impact he's likely to have. I think that the drop in secondaries is also going to be a big impact on Jordan Phillips because – the Cardinals secondary is not nearly as good as the Bills secondary. Their cornerbacks are mediocre at best. Obviously, Butta Baker is the shining star. And Peterson is surprisingly not as old as I thought he was. He's only 30 recently. I thought he was like 33, 34. I don't know. I don't think with the secondary that the Cardinals have, Jordan Phillips will be able to keep up those numbers. And they also signed... Devondre Campbell for eight eight yep. nine million dollars this offseason, which was I thought was actually a pretty good deal, but they paid Devon Kennard a little bit too much for what he's gonna do. So I don't hate that secondary quite as much as you, I think. Um Patrick Peterson definitely did not have one of his best years last year. Actually by far his worst year in his career. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if that's a permanent decline. We'll see. I mean he could definitely be on that Xavier Rhodes track where he just falls off a cliff, but it wasn't it wasn't the end of the world. And so if he can bounce back with better players across from him, he has Byron Murphy, who wasn't like a star last year, but when you're being put up across from Patrick Peterson, you're gonna get targeted over and over and over again. Yeah. Which is why Patrick Peterson has sort of been perpetually underrated because teams are so scared to throw at him that he doesn't actually pick up a lot of counting stats and so they throw at the guy opposite him. I thought Murphy actually held up okay, but the really interesting player in this secondary Robert is Isaiah Alford. Simmons. Oh. No, come on. No, <laughs> Robert Alford. Please never say that name to me yeah. again. I, can't I, believe I, they... I would just like to point this out before we move on to sure. Go ahead, Mr. Defense. Robert Alford, as a Falcons fan, is not good. Yeah. I mean, he, as a non-Falcons fan, I knew that. He has one pick six every six, seven games, and that's the only thing keeping him in the league. He is not a good He's not good in zone coverage. He's not good in man coverage. He's not a good cornerback. And people overrate him because of his plays in, in the clutch. But it, that doesn't matter when you can't even make it. The depth chart that I'm looking at right now has him third on the depth chart behind, like, or like third string for the right quarterback slot. I don't know if that's about right, but hopefully he won't get too much playing time. Anyways, Simmons is the really interesting one. So he was drafted seventh overall. After the Panthers took, no, wait, was he drafted? Yeah, he was drafted yeah. after the Panthers took Derek Brown, which was a surprise to me and I'd say many. We can talk about why that pick was weird at another time. But for him to be effective as a linebacker in today's NFL, he's got to be able to cover. And that's, or for anybody to be effective as a linebacker, you got to be able to cover. And that's one of his best strengths. He's so fast. He's so big. He's so athletic. <laughs> I mean, it's just truly ridiculous. He can he can um, play. He said it himself in his in his combine interview. Isaiah Simmons plays defense. That's his position. They yeah, can play so, him anywhere they want to. I'm interested if Cliff or the defensive court. Who's their defensive coordinator now? I think it's Steve. Uh, I think it's um, Vance. Yeah. So I'm I'm interested to see if if they play him at all in pass rush, because he can really play anywhere. But I want to see how he meshes in that defense. Okay, so last year at Clemson, he played his 14% of his snaps along the defensive line, so blitzing, I guess. Yeah. He played 32% of his snaps in the box as a linebacker. He played 35% of his snaps as a slot cornerback, which he is massive for a slot cornerback. That is ridiculous. <laughs> he will envelop slot receivers if he's fast enough to keep up with them. And he played 18% of his snaps at deep safety. You saw... If you watch the national championship game, I believe, or no, I think it was a semifinal. Sorry, I think it was a semifinal. He had a ridiculous uh, pick 
from yeah. the uh, free safety spot. Basically, the one concern for him is if he's able to master any one position or whether he'll be just stuck as sort of a tweener. So in recent years, it, across pretty much every sport, teams have started to understand that being a tweener isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, you can use that to your advantage and move players around, and that's a great thing. But usually for a player to be effective, they need to be good at something first and then branch out. So that's yeah. what we need to see from him. And if he can step up on that defense, then the Cardinals are going to be a scary team this year. Yep. Okay. I think that's about it for the defense. What do you have for me on the offense? So we, we kind of touched on Kyler Murray in our in our quarterback rankings podcast. But I, just to throw in a couple more things on, he averaged only 6.9 yards per attempt, um, which was the 21st among qualified quarterbacks last year. He, he was 21st in both DYAR and DVOA and 15th in QBR. So his numbers were not impressive last year. He was sacked 48 times in 16 games. I think that some of that had to do with his offensive line, but Murray's going to need to to have a big leap this year, which I think he definitely can do because he had some good numbers last year, 64.4% completion with 3,700 yards. I, I just think that if he makes that leap and Isaiah Simmons is able to step up on defense, this is a playoff team. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with most of that. Well, I don't know about a playoff team just because of how hard that division is, except for that. I just think that Kyler Murray's numbers last year were really impressive, especially for a rookie being thrown into what was the worst offense in the league a year yeah. ago, working with a new coach, a new offensive coordinator. What I think is going to be super interesting is how they're going to integrate uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who we already talked about, into the passing attack. So when Cliff Kingsbury came to town, he was known for his air raid attack. That was what he used at Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. And eventually what got him fired at Texas Tech because <laughs> he just couldn't play defense. And that's generally what happens to air raid teams. Basically what the air raid depends on is running four verts. You have four wide receivers and they're all running and they're all running deeper routes to complement each other. Generally that has been pretty effective on the college level and not quite as effective in the NFL. He tried it for about like the first five or so weeks and it just didn't work. Um, it was a, probably a combination of several different factors. Murray was taking too many sacks. He was, he was adjusting to the offense. They yeah. didn't have the wide receivers for it. Lack of weapons but, was the yeah. main thing. So what they did was they changed tack, which was really impressive because a lot of coaches take a long, long time to admit that they made a mistake and adjust. And they started running the ball a lot more. And their run game was so efficient that they ended the year on, on a pretty high note. Kenyon yeah. Drake was really good for them. He's definitely a hot target, I'd say, in fantasy this year. And so the way that they schemed it up, he only had to face eight or more defenders in the box on 9% of his rushing attempts, which was the fifth fewest in the NFL. That's fantastic. Basically, the threat of the pass held the defenders at bay um, and also the threat of um, Kyler Murray scrambling. But this year with Hopkins, I'd be curious to see if they start throwing the ball deep a lot more with four verts and more air raid schemes. So according to Kevin Clark from the Ringer last year, Kyler Murray was the most efficient by percentage and total amount on 31 or more yard throws. He had like 12, 31 plus yard throws last year, which was way more than anybody else in the league. He was incredibly efficient passing deep, uh, passing deep. And if they can harness that, that offense will be electric this year. Yep. I agree. Yeah. So I think the next team we should probably be talking about is the Seattle Seahawks, because although they are one of the better teams in this division, not a lot happened this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I think that their draft was their general weirdness. Yeah. So the way they added Quentin, uh, Quentin Dunbar from the Redskins for pretty low pick, if I remember correctly. If he's able to play, he was arrested or maybe not arrested <laughs> in some weird incident with... Um, yeah, on armed robbery case. Yeah, something. possibly armed robbery with uh, DeAndre Baker, who's a cornerback and a former first-round pick from the Giants. Yeah. Very weird. If he's able to play this year, he'll be a huge boost to that defense because last year they used by far the most space in the NFL. Yeah. And the main reason for that was because they simply didn't... And uh, Pete Carroll admitted this. They couldn't play nickel because they didn't have the people to play nickel. They just didn't have the personnel. So I think they, they lost Justin Coleman to the Lions and they just didn't really replace him. And so adding Dunbar gives them the ability to start branching out, play outside of uh, base. And last year they were pretty weak against the run. So they added Jordan Brooks for some reason in the first round. My, my counter to that is who cares? You don't win in the <laughs> NFL nowadays by running the ball unless you're the Ravens. 
I, I don't see what the purpose of that pick was. Jordan Brooks is essentially a run-stuffing linebacker. He doesn't actually – he hasn't proven to be effective in pass coverage, which is, as I mentioned earlier, is critical for a linebacker's success in the NFL. If you want to be able to play more than two downs, you have to be able to cover. But that's why Bobby Wagner is so amazing. He's one of the best cover linebackers in the NFL. Yeah. And I, I just think that they might have their priorities out of order. Yeah, and I actually think that the Seahawks have a pretty good secondary going into next season, especially if Quentin Dunbar can stay out of jail. Uh, because actually last year, he what did he play, 11 games last year? He was the second highest overall grade from pro football focus, only behind Richard Sherman. So I think him, Quandre Diggs, and Shaquille Griffin could actually make up a pretty good cornerback core, which yeah, Griffin- was a problem last year. Yeah, Griffin like took a pretty big step last year, uh, sort of quietly, but he was really good. Uh, Dunbar was also really good on a bad defense, which is why I guess he sort of flew under the radar. The problem with that defense is going to be that, I, and I would agree, I think the secondary isn't bad, especially compared to some around the league. The problem is that you can't cover forever, and there's not going to be any pressure coming from that defensive line. Yeah, their pass rush is not good. They, they drafted Darrell Taylor, right, in the yes. second round. Mm-hmm. And they also took Alton, Alton Robinson in the fifth round, who played, who did pretty well for Syracuse last year. I remember watching him play. They they signed Bruce Irvin too, right? But I don't know. Signing an aging defensive end who's going to turn thirty three in November, close to six million dollars. Uh, that's a that's a little expensive for my taste. Um, they they just haven't really done anything of note. Like yeah, they drafted those guys. They signed Irvin. But basically, they're counting on a huge leap from LJ Collier, who was their first-round pick two years ago and hasn't didn't show anything last year. And then maybe, like, better play from Jerron Reed, who was good a couple years ago and hasn't done much since, and I guess Puna Ford. Yeah, and Benson Maioa is not the missing piece of this puzzle. No, it's not. The thing is, is that, and people have been screaming this for weeks, basically since free agency started, you got to sign one of the guys on the market. They've all been talking about Clowney, obviously, since he was on the team last year. Yeah. but. There's actually a decent amount of edge rushers on the market, um, and some of them who maybe they get for cheap. They have okay, so they have, there's also Everson Griffin who was fantastic uh, and has been fantastic for yeah. a long time. I feel like you could get him to a reasonable, like some around ten million dollar deal, maybe a little bit more. I don't know if they have the money for that. Uh, cap space is definitely tight, but they could reunite with somebody like Michael Bennett, mm-hmm. or they could sign like a player like clay matthews just to pass rush on third downs so if it's an obvious passing situation they need to be able to generate pressure and clay matthews is decent at that yeah for sure and that's that's probably their biggest hole on this entire team because it's it's such a solid team but their pass rush is is really lacking yeah i mean the the team is good and on offense russell wilson masks pretty much (laughs) any flaws that show up their offense Uh, is russell wilson yeah their offense is russell wilson and you like there's not all that much to say about it because they'll be fine there. It's a question of whether their defense and especially their defensive line will be able to hold up on offense. They didn't really do much over the offseason. They signed Philip Dorsett, which I thought was quietly a pretty good signing since he was yeah. really good over the first half of the year. Um, and then he was hurt at the second uh, at the end and wasn't didn't do quite as much. But that was about it. Yeah, and, and he, he could be a very good deep ball um, deep ball catcher. He was really good in Miami. He's going to help Tyler Lockett this year, maybe get a little bit more production. And DK Metcalf is going to have another guy on the opposite side of the field running down. My question is, who's running the short routes on this team? So I, I like their wide receivers. I like I, re- I really like Philip Dorsett. Um, I really like DK Metcalf. And I like Tyler Lockett. They're all great, but they're all really good catching deep. They're not like necessarily built for short routes, even though Lockett's small and like he's a good slot receiver. He's he some of his best production comes running uh running deep routes. So my question is who's gonna play in the slot there? Yeah, so they have David Moore and yeah. some average uh, they oh they also have Ursua who's who's yeah. a pretty good wide receiver. But I don't know, maybe they'll try and use some of these pass catching backs that they have, like Travis Homer or DJ Dallas. Yeah. Maybe. So speaking of the backs. They signed Carlos Hyde because their number one and number two backs are Chris Carson and Rashad Penny, and they both got hurt at the end of last season. Penny's not expected to be ready for the like the beginning of the season. Carson theoretically is, but it was a hip injury, and frankly, those just scare me. 
So I don't really know how long it'll take for him to recover from that. Hopefully he'll be ready by opening day. But if not, they have Hyde there and also Dallas and Homer. And I really, I like those guys. I think that they'll find a way to manufacture a rushing offense. Oh, and trust me, (laughs) Brian Schottenheimer and Pete Carroll will have no problem implementing the running back. They will be establishing the run. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And they also have Greg Olson, who I thought was an interesting pickup to move the chains maybe. But I don't know. That that was, that was, that's a good question. They have so many tight ends. It's weird. Yeah. They have Olsen. They have Luke Wilson. They have Will Disley, who was good before he got hurt. They drafted two tight ends um, in later rounds, but guys who were pretty decent in college. Also, they have Jacob Hollister. There's yeah. a lot of guys there. There's a lot um, of options. And then finally, before we move on, I think we need to talk about the offensive line. The way that they handled that offensive line this offseason was basically just say, okay, we have Dwayne Brown. We're just going to throw a lot of bodies at the remaining holes. And yeah. They didn't, they didn't really address anyone specific. Mm-mm. They got they got BJ Finney, right? Yeah, they, I think yeah, they signed Finney. They also signed Brandon Shell. Again, these are guys who I haven't even heard of. Yeah. Basically, uh, BJ Finney was pretty solid on Pittsburgh. I, I know he filled okay. a lot of gaps. Okay, so yeah, he's supposed to be their center according to this. Oh, they have Mikey Upati, um, who's I think a good run blocker, not great yeah. in pass coverage. Uh, basically, they have a lot of bodies there, and they're hoping some of them will stick. That's basically yeah. their their approach. And that's not a bad that's not a bad idea. You they don't nope. have they don't really have the reason to shell out on a big offensive lineman, and they really and, don't have the cap space. Yeah, so it's fine. That works. You know what? Like we'll see how we'll see how it works out. But it could go really badly with one <laughs> massive hole on their offensive line, and that could tank their entire offense. Yeah. I'm willing to bet that Russell Wilson will run away from whatever the problem is. But yeah, Russell Wilson will make it work. It doesn't yeah. matter who he has. So Russell Wilson will make it work, but Jimmy Garoppolo might not. <laughs> and that, so I, I want to talk a little bit about the 49ers. The Jimmy G situation this year is super weird because he wasn't bad last year. He wasn't, he really wasn't bad. Like he had a good setup. And so I guess people like trash him for not being as effective as he necessarily could have been. And obviously like he was, he didn't really help them win that Super Bowl. Like yeah. he's probably the reason they ended up losing in the end, mm-hmm. but he has been terrible, and yet at the same time, this is a make-or-break year for Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, I, especially in this division with such little margin for error, I think this is a big year for Garoppolo because he really needs to limit those bad interceptions. Like, he had that one at the end of the first half of the Super Bowl that was just oh, the blind yeah. throw. He closed his eyes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what I, that's what I would do. <laughs> but, but that's why you're not an NFL quarterback. There's a lot of reasons I'm not an NFL quarterback, but yes, that's one. But I think that's the main thing. I think he just needs to limit those bad interceptions. If this is going to be sort of, I think, tougher, at least at the beginning of the year, than it might have been last year because they lose Emmanuel Sanders, and that wide receiver room is looking yeah. awfully thin. So Debo, Debo Samuel is hurt. He's theoretically supposed to come back for week one, but they didn't seem all that certain about the heat that he was really going to be healthy. And behind him is just Brandon Ayuk, <laughs> who was a first-round pick, but not like necessarily a super polished wide receiver and like mostly expected to be schemed into position to succeed. So not, not going to create his own offense. Yeah. Uh, Kendrick Bourne, who I actually really like watching because it's really funny no matter what, and it's going to be entertaining. What he does is he alternates amazing catches that like nobody else can make. Like, like I heard stories about him in practice making these ridiculous catches that nobody can make, but then he drops so <laughs> many easy balls. It's painful yeah. to watch. And then they have Jalen Hurd, who was, I think, a third-round pick last year, who was hurt for most of the year, and Dante Pettis, who, for some reason, Kyle Shanahan just decided that he hates and isn't going <laughs> to let play. Yeah. It's it's a weird core, and you expect to see a big increase in production by George Kittle because it's George Kittle. He's fantastic. But he can't run block and catch passes, so they're looking very thin on the wide receiver core. Yeah. I don't even know how much room there is for Kittle's production to grow. If he can just match what he did last year, that would be fantastic, I think. Another offensive field position, the running backs. Raheem Mostert requested a trade last week, this week, recently. I don't really care, personally. Like I I thought he was pretty good last year. He averaged the most yards per carry or something in the playoffs, uh, something around seven. Like he, he He played well, but the Shanahan, going back to Mike Shanahan, his his scheme, has always produced productive running backs. Yeah, and that's why that's why I was a little skeptical with that because what Raheem Mostert said was that he was looking for a long-term deal, 
And honestly, nobody in the NFL is giving a 28-year-old running back a long-term deal. And they also just picked up Salvin Ahmed. And they uh, out of Washington, I believe, right? Yeah. And they re-signed Jeff Wilson and Matt Breda. So I don't think that... Uh, Breda's on the Dolphins. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't see them going crazy for Raheem Mostert. They'll make something work, whether it's Ahmed or... Or Wilson, I, I'm not. I'm not too worried. Okay, so I, I actually don't blame Mostert for trying to get the trade for trying to get a trade. Mostly just because, as you mentioned, he's a 28 year old running back. His window to make money in the NFL is closing very rapidly. Yeah. And so you know what? Do whatever you can. Make money however you can. Go for it. He's probably not going to be as productive outside of this scheme. So the running back room is Tevin Coleman, Jeff Wilson, Jarek McKinnon, and then Salvin Ahmed and Jermichael Hasty. So I think that when fantasy season comes around, Tevin Coleman's probably going to be the first one picked, given that he has the longest track record. Right. But last year, he was next to last in the league in success rate for running backs with 100 or more carries. He was not good. He's pretty much toast at this point. Yeah. So I- I'm here to tell you, don't do that. Don't pick him. <laughs> Jeff Wilson is more of a goal line back. He had, like a, he had a bunch of touchdowns, but not that many carries and like not that many between the 20s. I- I'm also not that sold on him. And then Jarek McKinnon hasn't touched the field in, I think, two years. And I don't think he's ever going to be healthy again. I wouldn't bet on him. So, Jamichael Hasty is possibly <laughs> a sleeper. I, I watched some tape of his at Baylor. I, I mean, I, I sort of liked what I saw. I watched him in a couple, I think, like a bowl game or something like that. He played pretty well. I'm not saying necessarily go all out and pick him or anything, but keep an eye on him because yeah, I think who knows I, what's going to happen. Yeah, I think th- his role really depends on if Jarek McKinnon is healthy or not. Because yep. coming back from injured reserve after that awful injury, who knows? I mean, they have a lot of guys coming back from injury. Jalen Hurd yeah. is coming back from the IR. Weston Richburg, Ronald Blair. Um, they actually have 14 players to return from the injured reserve in 2020. That's the yeah, most no, of any team. They were ridiculously injured last year, like which is which is sort of underrated given that they made it to the Super Bowl. It's hard to make it to the Super Bowl with the amount of injuries that they took. Um, so, yeah, basically there's going to be a running back to come out of that Shanahan scheme. And if you can ID them, you'll be in a good position in fantasy. Anyways, you mentioned uh, all those injuries and you mentioned Weston Richburg. So let's talk about the offensive line for a bit. One of their best players in team history and – a potential Hall of Famer. I don't really know uh, where Joe Steely uh, ranks in the NFL pantheon uh, has retired, and they yeah. might be better. Yeah, um, and especially with their addition of yeah, actually, I'll let, I'll let you introduce him. So they brought in Trent Williams. He hasn't played in over a year, but the last we saw of him, he was fantastic. He's made I think seven Pro Bowls in a row. Uh, yeah. Until he until he got hurt, he's. I mean, if he's healthy and he's able to play, I'm fairly certain he'll be productive. I mean, it's just you don't see that happen. They did it for I think a third and a fifth round pick. That that is what good teams do. They replace yeah. the play, They replace their great players when they need to leave with a, a cost effective options. I mean, it's, it was just a fantastic football move. Right, and it's having such a, a veteran guy and such a good player on the left side of your offensive line will help people like Lakin Tomlinson grow and just yeah. that entire offensive line. Will, I think it'll be a much stronger unit this year. Yep, Mike McGlinchley, Mike McGlinchy, sorry, is on the other side of the offensive line. Yeah. He's the other right tack. He's the right tackle. He's fantastic in the run game. He had the third best PFF run blocking grade last year, but definitely can improve in the pass game. I, I think that that offensive line will be pretty good. I don't think it's necessarily a flaw. And with Rich, Richburg is pretty darn good, and he'll be hopefully he'll be healthy for this year. That's another boom. Yeah, and on the other side of the ball, I thought that. The 49ers had a very weird offseason when it came to their defensive line. I would they, definitely agree with that. They traded DeForest Buckner. Basically, he traded DeForest Buckner for Javon Kinlaw. That's basically yes. what, the, what the deal ended up being. Wait, just to make it look a little bit fairer to the 49ers, because that is essentially what they did. They traded DeForest Buckner on a massive contract, the massive contract that he got from the Colts, and they would have had to give him for uh, Javon Kinlaw on a rookie deal. So just to give a little bit of context. Yeah. So I think that this is going to have a very weird effect on the 49ers defensive line because they still have, you know, Bosa, but 
I think this might be a breakout year for Solomon Thomas, who, if you remember, they traded back to the third pick, third overall pick, and still got him from the Bears, right? Yes. Yeah. So that that was a fantastic deal. They they got who they wanted, and they and they got something. What did they get from the Bears? Uh, like a later pick, but the, yeah. so. You might be one of the few people in the world who still believes in Solomon Thomas. He's not necessarily <laughs> the reason I'm excited in that defensive line. They still have Bosa, who's going to improve, I would assume. They have Eric Armstead, who they decided to pay him instead of DeForest Buckner. I probably would have <laughs> paid Buckner, but you know what? Like Armstead was pretty darn good last year. He just has a shorter track record. Yeah. They still have D Ford, who was hurt for most of last year, but he was good, and they paid him a lot of money. And then DJ Jones was also pretty darn good from the uh, playing from the interior. I think he got hurt at some point. I think that if Kinlaw can provide the interior push that they lost when Buckner leaves, he doesn't need to be as good as Buckner. That defensive line will still be able to hold up. He just needs to provide some production. Yeah, and I and you said I'm one of the few who still believes in Solomon Thomas. I don't believe in him being a very good defensive lineman. I just think that he can't really get worse from where he is at this moment. So any bit of production will be helpful from him. And I think that That's defensive true. line might be able to deal with that loss. That is true. Also, just to give Solomon Thomas a shout out, since I, you know, have been a little bit rude to him, he's done some good things talking about, I think, mental health. Um, yeah. And he's made some positive change in that regard, just not necessarily on the field. <laughs> um, and then before we leave the 49ers, I just want to give their linebackers, and specifically Fred Warner, a shout out, because I think that he's fantastic and doesn't get the acclaim that he deserves. They drafted Fred Warner in the third round, and then this past year, Dre Greenlaw in the fifth round, and they've gotten really good production from both of them. Warner uh, faced pretty much the same amount of targets as Bobby Wagner last year and allowed fewer yards and completions. He's underrated, but really, really good. Yeah, that pretty much covers the 49ers. So the last team in this stack division are the Los Angeles Rams. What do you think about the Rams this season? Okay, so from listening to a bunch of other podcasts and um, just, like, reading up, I'm getting the sense that the Rams are not expected to do well at all this year, and I don't really believe in Jared Goff, but I am a lot more bullish on the Rams than I think most are. Partially just because I believe in Sean McVay. I think that he's going to turn that offense around, and he definitely showed signs of that over the second half of the season. They actually were one game out of a playoff spot. (laughs) Yeah, they, they won chance, nine games last season. They had a chance to make the playoffs in the last week of the season. It was a really slim chance, which is why nobody really talked about it. A couple of different things had to happen, but they ended up they were only one game out of the playoff. That's ridiculous. If, if we had had if they'd had the seven uh team playoff the way that they're gonna have this year, they would have made the playoffs. So yeah. just saying. And everyone's talking about how terrible the Rams season was last year. Listen to that. They were they were one game out of the playoffs. They weren't that yeah. bad. They weren't that bad. The problem is that the cupboard is sort of you know, bear, there isn't all that much new there. Yeah. So I think that what what we saw was that the rushing attack sort of fell apart for a couple different reasons. They got, you know, famous, I guess, sort of like well-known for their zone scheme built around Todd Gurley. And uh, that's why they, that, that was what they were using the season they made it to the Super Bowl. And it just sort of stopped working. The Patriots gave a guide on sort of how to counter that. And so to counter that, the Rams started running up the middle, yeah. which worked a lot better last year. But the running backs that they have, uh, Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers, just aren't built for that, which concerns me. So Henderson was drafted to run in the zone scheme. He's got a slater build and he's really quick, but he's not super sturdy. And that's not great when you're running up the middle. And then pretty much Akers is sturdier, but still not necessarily the type of running back who's built for that scheme. Yeah, and I, I, to add on to what you were saying, I think the Rams lost a lot more than they gained this offseason. They lost some pretty big names. So they lost Corey Littleton. They lost Dante Fowler, who they decided to um, give their money to Brockers, I think, instead of Dante Fowler, which kind of surprised me. Well, I, Fowler was getting a lot more money than Brockers, I would assume. Right, but... They, they tried to keep them, and the Falcons just had more money than them. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they had the room their cap to actually. So. Yeah, and uh, I but. think Dante Fowler is in a better place now. 
And okay. they also they also lost Todd Gurley, which was bound to happen. And he's also going to have a fantastic season next year. But I, I don't know. I just think that the the Rams really didn't add too many pieces this offseason, and they lost some pretty big names. Yeah. I didn't realize. Okay, so the Falcons are LA, LA East. I didn't realize that. <laughs> Interesting. I, oh, I, I would and, agree with sorry. that. They, they also, yeah, they also um, I was surprised to see Nick, Nickel Roby Coleman go, especially because right. of the $1.3 million deal he took with the Eagles, which I think they could have thank afforded. You, thank you. Single, single best, uh, like, single most valuable free agent contract given out this offseason yeah. for the team. That was ridiculous. He's not necessarily the best slot corner in the league, but he's a very good slot corner, and there's, I don't know how he ended up making it so little. Anyways, yeah. despite losing all of those players, I still see a path for them to be a really good defense, and it's only four words. Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. <laughs> if you can't build a good defense with those two guys, I don't, like, what are you doing? So, Donald forces two linemen to block him on every <laughs> single play, and he still gets to the quarterback a yeah. decent percentage of the time. Those like, offensive linemen could have knives. And he would still yeah. make it to the quarterback. <laughs> yeah, sure, we've seen that. Um, there's just no excuse. I mean, like, Brockers and Samson Ebukamp should be getting free to the quarterback. What's weird is that in all the time that the Rams have had Aaron Donald, they've never really had another, like, star rusher, like, pass rusher across from him, which doesn't make any sense because the player themselves doesn't really need to be a star. They just need to be good enough to beat somebody one-on-one because they're not going to face double teams. Right. Aaron Donald is the best defensive lineman that I've seen in my life. And I I don't understand why that Rams defensive line doesn't get the most sacks every year. Theoretically, if you have two offensive linemen guarding one person every play, there should be some more sacks from the rest of them. And that yeah. those numbers really need to go up next year. So and then the secondary is good. Like this, yeah. that's the thing. The players in the secondary are good. Jalen Ramsey is either going to shut down one side of the field, which, or he's just going to travel with your top receiver. Either yep. way, one of them is disappearing. And then, uh, and then they have Taylor Rapp uh, at strong safety, who was pretty darn good last year. And, he's, and his workouts this offseason have been ridiculous. Well, he he did that like ten thousand calorie challenge. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I, I contemplated that, and then I realized I don't want to lose ten thousand calories. <laughs> and then you're also not built like an NFL player. That is also true. Um, then they have John Johnson at the other safety slot, who's also pretty good. He was the one who caught the interception on his back um, <laughs> in that playoff game a couple years ago. And they have Troy Hill at the other cornerback slot. Not bad. Basically, that secondary shouldn't be bad. And then their linebackers are definitely more suspect. They have Micah Kaiser um, out of UVA, I believe, who was hurt for most of last year. I think that's why he didn't play. And then they signed Leonard Floyd from Chicago. Yeah, that was a little weird. The Floyd signing sort of makes sense because their new defensive coordinator, I forget his name already, coached Floyd. I think he coached like the linebackers or something like that in Chicago. So, Well, yeah, so Brandon Staley is their defensive coordinator. Thank you. So basically, my question is, with all these guys, I, I don't see how this team isn't decent. Like, they don't have that much depth. Absolutely, they don't have that much depth. But I see a path to this team being good just based off of the star power that they have. And I think you missed out on their biggest draft pick this year, Sam Sloman, out of Miami, Ohio in, in the seventh round. They have probably the – actually, I shouldn't say the best kicker out of the draft because I can't forget about Rodrigo. But Yeah, come on. But they replaced Greg Zerline with, with Sam Sloman, and I think that was a very good pickup. I could not tell you anything about <laughs> Sam Sloman, but I'm sure that they'll figure out the um, place kicker position. I did forget. I, I almost forgot that they lost their line. Yeah. Man, the Cowboys have had a lot of good kickers. That's where he went, by the way. Yeah. Their defense wasn't that good last year, which is, I guess, why they fired Wade Phillips. I, I campaigned for him last week, but that's fine. Maybe they're looking for improvement, and I feel like they should get it. But going back to the offense, there's just one major problem with this offense, and it was they're the reason they were. Yep, and that's the reason they were terrible last year, too. Yep. Uh, Want to talk about it a little? Sure. So they, they signed Andrew Whitworth to a three-year deal, which was oh. a little surprising to me because he's a veteran, and I don't think he has three years left in him. But uh, I don't know. I think the Rams can probably get out of that after one season. He is a huge part of that offensive line. And besides that, 
There's really also, not much. I mean, he was just bad last year. Like, he, he was fantastic up until last year. He and Rob uh, Haventy were really good, really, really good up until last year, and they both fell off a cliff, and that's why and that offensive line collapsed around them. Yeah. Right now, looking at their depth chart, Austin Corbett is supposed to start at left guard. Corbett was, like, an early second-round pick by the Browns, who I think they ended up trading to the Rams for, like, a seventh because he was so terrible. He never <laughs> even saw He saw the field for, like, 15 snaps in Cleveland. He was so bad. I, I don't see a reason for faith. The thing is that they're going to need a lot of really young first or second year players yeah. to develop quickly and provide like at least decent contributions. And they don't have an off season. Yeah. So like they don't have training camp. I, they, I, like, that, that's what concerns me. They really need either Joseph Noteboom from TCU or Bobby Evans or a rookie to yep. take over. Just, yeah, they got They got They need some help from these rookies. I, I think they have, they like the guys that they have there. It's just a like, I don't know if they like expected them to have to provide this big of a contribution with so little training, like on such yeah. short notice. Essentially, that that's my concern. And maybe they get better over the course of the year, but the first couple of weeks could be tough. I think that we should keep an eye out for that. Enough about the offensive line. What was weird last year was that they used the fourth most play action in the league, which yay, hooray, everybody should be using it more often. But they were like the only team in the league to be bad at it. <laughs> Jared Goff was the tw- had the 28th lowest passer rating on play action in the league. He was terrible. Yeah. Like so I said this need- in I said this in the QB rankings. I think that Jared Goff is only good because of Sean McVay. And I, I mean, would, I would die agree with that. by that by that. I mean I would no, but I would agree with that, but he has Sean McVay and I feel like Sean McVay should be able to scheme out something good for him. Yeah. So yeah, basically hopefully they get better production. Uh, on play action because they're really going to need it. It's pretty much a staple of every team now. Um, and I, I don't know. Like, I just see a decent season for this Rams team if they can figure out how to beat the teams in their division just because of how many good players they have. I mean, they still have Robert Woods. They still have Cooper Cup. They still have uh, Tyler Higby. He's a superstar. I'm calling <laughs> yeah. it right now. Um, but, like, I, I just see I see a path to contention for them, especially with seven playoff spots. Yeah. And they also have Gerald Everett, Josh Reynolds, Van Jefferson. They have a lot of options on that offense, and I and I can't see them having a bad season. I don't see any of these teams having a bad season in this division. Yeah, let's do our, let's do our final records in a second. I do see, the only way I see the Rams being bad is if they can't figure out their offensive line. But yes, yeah. um, okay. So I think that. The Cardinals are probably still a year away, so I'd say that they're probably likely to be the worst team in this division, even though they could be really good. Where do you, what what's their record for you? Yeah, so they're so obviously I gotta take into the fact that it's game season, but uh, I don't know. So the Cardinals are a very are a very interesting team, and I agree that they're they still got one year left, but I can't see them going worse than like seven and nine. I don't know. It's still 16 games. I know, but I can't think. I can't. I can't yeah. process the fact that there's another game yet. I, I don't know. So I, I feel like they are at worst a seven and nine team in any other division. They need to play eight games against these teams. That's what scares me. I guess six games against the other teams. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I feel like that's around the right record for them. Um, just because of the just because of their competition, I do really like them as a team. For the Rams. I don't know. It feels it feels a little optimistic, but I have them as like uh, uh yeah, I'm going to do 16 game seasons for right now just cuz it's too difficult for me to contemplate. I think you're right. I'm going to say I'm being optimistic, but I'm going to say 10 and 6. Yeah. Uh that that that's pretty optimistic. I don't know how I got myself on the Rams bandwagon, but somehow I'm here. I I I think that they're going to have a very similar season to last season. And yeah, I can see. What I guess in a seventeen-game season, I would say that they're gonna go like nine and eight or ten and eight. Yeah. Somehow you just ended up with eighteen games for that last one. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Either nine and eight or, uh, no, shoot, nine Either and nine eight, eight or ten and seven. Yeah, that's a thing. Okay. Okay. Who do you have? What do you have for the Seahawks? <sighs> see, I don't know. So this the Seahawks were pretty weird last year because. Multiple metrics indicated that the Seahawks were pretty lucky with their 11 games last season. Yeah. Their expected win-loss record was like 7.2 to 7.8, according mm-hmm. to Pro Football Reference. 
but they're such a good team. I mean, Russell Wilson is not going to let them lose more than seven games. I'm pro- I'm going to go with 11 wins next season because I don't want to think about how many losses people are having. Yeah, okay. I think I agree with most of that. Other than that, they're not a good team. They have one really transcendent player, and they, like, scrap and scrimp around him, essentially, yeah. and he's going to carry them. So last year, I think – I don't have this number in front of me, but I'm pretty sure they were 7-1 and one in one-score games, which does not – like, it just doesn't track. Um, it doesn't – those scores and, like, those uh, one-score games – don't stay the same from year to year. Essentially, they will regress. Maybe not this year, but it will happen. And uh, before then, his career, he actually wasn't like a superstar in one-score games. So it's not like Russell Wilson is necessarily a cheat code. I feel like the Seahawks are just straight up betting that he is a cheat code and they're going to keep winning those one-score games, which is why they like wait to like they're losing through three quarters and then they unleash him in the fourth. They need to stop doing that. That's not an effective way to win or good way to expect to win at the very least. I'm going to say a 10-win team. Oh, so you think that they're even with the Rams? Oh, <laughs> yes. You know what? Yes. Because wow. the Seahawks, because the Seahawks, yeah, yeah I don't know. Because the Seahawks have the player who is by far the, who just will carry them to several wins just on his own. But the Rams have the better team. Okay. I respect yeah. your opinion. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I feel weird about that because I don't like Benny against Russell Wilson. But yeah, I'll take yeah. it. So the 49ers are quite easily the best team in this division I think that they're going to win 13 games this season because they do have the fourth hardest schedule out of all teams in the league 13 games I'm gonna I don't I think I'm gonna go one higher I'm gonna say 14 but I don't feel great about it because I don't yeah. know I've never been all that high on the 49ers and I just don't like betting on teams that don't have good quarterbacks which runs contrary to all of my picks today, which is really weird. Um, but yeah, their defense is so good, which we should keep in mind that defensive production is vastly more likely to fluctuate from year to year than offensive production is. That's just how it works. Um, so it could very easily shift and they could have not necessarily a bad defense, but like not necessarily like the spectacular defense they had last year. Also, yeah. like Robert Saleh, you know, like he was getting like the head coach buzz. Uh, mm-hmm. after last year but before last year they were considering firing him so i don't necessarily know if he's a special defense coordinator yeah and they're gonna, they're um, gonna take a, a step back after making second in dvoa last year so i could definitely see a way for them no you know what i'm gonna go 13 wins yeah i can't <laughs> i can't go 14 that's too much so so i got a question which i don't know if you want to answer this episode but who do you think is the better team in the nfc the 49ers or the saints 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 um I, that's an unpopular opinion, and I'm starting to I'm starting to like see and read a lot of chatter that's saying that the Saints aren't as good as people think. I'm all in. I'm all in on the Saints this year, and I think I'll explain that when we do NFC South. But yeah, and that's why you put Drew Brees and the teams on your list. You know what? I, that it has nothing to do with Drew Brees. It has everything to do with all every single other player around. <laughs> okay. That's it for this week's episode of Tackling the NFL. Thanks for coming and listening to us. Next week we'll be doing Adam. What are we gonna do? Uh, we're going to do the North, so we'll be starting on the AFC North next week. Yep, that is a super fun division. We have the Browns, we have the Ravens, and I'm really looking forward to digging into the Ravens' offensive numbers. And so we hope you guys join us then.